to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, we often think of heaven in terms of just sort of detached from reality in the sense of responsibility, activity. We sometimes tend to think of heaven as just sort of drifting endlessly through space and being content to do so. We fail to realize a lot of times that there is much activity awaiting us in the future. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues our special Christmas series. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, in a message titled, The Government Upon His Shoulders. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Well, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and look at this great, great prophecy in the ninth chapter of Isaiah. Now, of course, the prophecies have a first application to Israel. The context of this promise was to Israel, to the nation of Israel. But there's a much broader application to many of these prophecies as well, and specifically the Messianic prophecies, their application is ultimately universal. So it's, it's initially to Israel, but then it overflows to all people. It's, first of all, a prophecy about the governance of God over the people and ultimately over the earth but then there's also the personal aspect to it. And so we want to look at both things. We want to look at it from the standpoint of how this prophecy will be fulfilled in the larger sense of universally, but then look at its application for us today. You see, because this prophecy has only been partially fulfilled just very slightly fulfilled, actually, up until this point. And the greater part of the prophecy is yet future. Yet there is a personal uh, application of it for us today. As we, as we await the bigger picture fulfillment, there is the personal fulfillment that we can experience of this prophecy in our own lives. So we want to look at it in that way. So let me read it to you. The entire thing, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So notice the immediate context is the throne of David and the government initially of Israel will be upon his shoulders, the one who's sitting upon the throne of David. 
But it's also describing a, a universal government. Jesus Christ will set up a, a kingdom that will have its dominion over the entire earth. Now, men have sought to do that historically. Certain individual men have sought to do it. Various powers have sought to accomplish that. And there's even talk in our day about something like that again in the future. And you know that many are saying now that we have, we've entered into a whole new experience globally. We've entered into a time of what they're calling global governance, where now they're, they're no longer looking at nations individually so much, but now looking at all nations sort of being connected to one, an, one another and ultimately governed by a central power. So this has been man's ambition from the very beginning to have a worldwide kingdom. But we, as we look at history, we see every single attempt has failed. And as we look at prophecy, we know that the future attempts will fail as well. And the only time that this is going to come to pass will be under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because the problem for men is they don't understand that the only way a kingdom can be built to last is if it's built on righteousness. And this is the problem that man has. We have no righteousness. We are unrighteous. But Christ is going to set up a righteous kingdom. And we're given here a description of how it is that he is going to govern. Even in the names that are given to him here, we get a picture of the kind of government that we're talking about. But before we get to that, again, let me just remind you, for unto us a child is born. Now, this child was born a couple thousand years ago. The child who was born a couple thousand years ago is also a son who is given. And it's God's determined purpose that the government of the world and basically of the universe in its entirety will ultimately be upon his shoulder. And now listen to these titles that are given to him. And think of these uh, titles in the context of world governance. First of all, he is called wonderful. I can't think of a single politician <laughs> that you could apply that title to in all of history. A wonderful ruler, but that is the title given to him. He's wonderful. And the word wonderful also has the idea of awesome, that he's awe-inspiring. So we're talking about a, a ruler who is wonderful in the truest sense of the word, awe-inspiring. He's wonderful. He's also referred to as the counselor. Some would have it wonderful counselor, that these two are connected. And maybe they're directly linked, but maybe not. But either way, you have essentially the same thing. He's wonderful, but he's also 
counselor. The implication there is that he's full of wisdom and his counsel is perfect in regard to dealing with the problems, the difficulties that men have faced. And isn't it true today that we see a tremendous lack of wisdom amongst world leaders? It's just unbelievable. So many of these men that are purported to be so intelligent, and often people are boasting about their brilliance. You find they might be intellectual, they might be smart in the sense that they have knowledge, but it seems that most of them are tremendously lacking in wisdom. They don't have any idea of how to apply the knowledge. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. They might have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. They don't know how to apply it. And so they come up with solutions that instead of solving the problem, they actually create bigger problems. And it's astounding how rapidly we're, we're seeing everybody just you know, get on board with so many of these things that are questionable, so many of these things that are uh, highly controversial as to the validity of them. But just that you know, tendency to just force things through. But not so with the Lord when he comes and he sets up his reign. He will be the counselor. He will give wise counsel to the nations. And all of his policies and all of those things that he will implement will be righteous policies. Now, when we think of the kingdom of God, I think we tend to think of it in sort of mystical terms sometimes or we, in other words, we, can, we kind of forget that there's a practical aspect to it. It's sort of the way we think of heaven. You know, we often think of heaven in terms of, you know, just sort of detached from, from reality in the sense of responsibility, activity. We, we, we sometimes tend to think of heaven as just sort of, you know, drifting endlessly through space and, you know, being content to do so. Uh, we fail to realize a lot of times that there is much activity awaiting us in the future. So much of what we go through in this life is preparatory for the life to come. And the life to come is full of activity. And so there are going to be, on a practical level, there are going to be policies. There's going to be the implementation of policies. There's going to be a governmental structure, but it's going to be a righteous one. And all of this system is going to flow to man from that fountain of wisdom, the Lord himself. So he will be called the counselor. He will bring forth that wise counsel. But then he's also referred to here as the mighty God. Now, the mighty God is, the, the word here, mighty, is a word that is describing him in, in sort of a military sense or in the sense of a conqueror. The Jehovah's Witnesses foolishly try to make a distinction between the mighty God and the almighty God. They say, well, Jesus, you know, he's the mighty God, but Jehovah's the almighty God. And it's a ridiculous idea 
because the, the two Hebrew words, the one for almighty and the one for mighty, are just looking at things from two different angles. They're not distinguishing a greater God and a lesser God. When the Bible refers to God as almighty, the idea is that he's almighty in the sense of being the great provider. He's the one who controls all of the resources of the universe, and he provides through them. When it speaks of him as being mighty, it speaks of him more in the sense of being a great warrior or a great conqueror, somebody who is able to subdue their enemies and bring them into subjection. And so there is that element. When the Lord returns, when this child who has been born and this son who has been given when he actually sets up his government, he's going to do it initially through force. He's going to put down all of the resistance. You know, it's amazing to me, and I would imagine it is to you too, the incredible opposition to Christ that we see arising all around the world. But there is this open and aggressive and blatant opposition. And there's a downright hostility to Christ. And, and now we're seeing more and more to the word of God, where we're getting to the point now, where even in nations that historically have been Judeo-Christian in their foundational traditions or principles, that in some of these places today, they're talking about, and to some degree already, Outlawing the Bible. The Bible's a dangerous book. The Bible is a book that promotes, they say, inequality or, or racism or, you know, th those kinds of accusations. It's astounding. And we see the opposition to, to Jesus is gaining momentum. We don't have to look far into the Islamic world to find incredible hostility to the biblical Christ. Of course, the Quran has its own version of Jesus, a mythological Jesus, but the biblical Jesus, there's tremendous opposition to him. And then we see it in the West as well through the influence of uh, atheism and uh, the rise of what they call the new atheism and so forth. But my point is this, we see the forces that are gathering together and uniting against Christ. That's why we have this reference here to the mighty God. Because he will go forth, as we read in the book of Revelation, he's going to come forth on that white horse and he's going to come forth in judgment. He has a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God and he goes forth and he will subdue his enemies. So, his government will be one that he brings about through the overthrow of his adversaries. He's called also the Everlasting Father. The Everlasting Father. The Everlasting Father probably isn't the best translation of the Hebrew words here because it gives us the wrong impression. It gives us the impression that he is the Father. When we think of the Father, of course, because we believe in the Trinity, we think of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when the, the Messiah is referred to as the everlasting Father, we ourselves get a little bit confused. Now, 
He's the everlasting father. I thought he was God the son. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, again, the problem is probably in the translation because a better translation would be father of the ages rather than everlasting father. And that sort of clears up the confusion. But the idea is that he is the father of time, the ages. He is the, the idea is really that all of time originated with him and he has dominion over all of time. He has dominion over all of the divisions of time, over all of the ages. He has been the one who's been working out his plan throughout all of the ages. And so in the ages to come, he will rule over those ages. Time originated with him. In a sense, there's, there's a bit of a, of a reference to him as the creator here. We know, of course, that space and time and matter are all wrapped up. You can, you can separate them in one sense, but you can't separate them in another sense. And so when, when he's referred to as the, the father of the ages, it's, it's talking about him really as the creator. So he is the creator of all things. And then he is referred to as the prince of peace. The prince of peace. And this is such a wonderful title, isn't it? The prince of peace the author of peace, the one from whom peace flows out from. We have all of these new peace movements, and of course we've seen sort of a revival in some of the ideologies of the 60s. The peace sign has come back, and we see a lot of the younger generation today sort of, you know, leaning toward that kind of um, expression where there are many of them going back to looking like and, you know, some of the same ideas that were real prevalent there in the, the counterculture of the 60s where peace was sort of an underlying foundational kind of a, of a message that was being promoted. We know if we lived through it and, you know, looking back in hindsight, we know that it was a false peace. But again, we're seeing the same sort of thing. And man has always been theoretically looking for peace, but yet practically it doesn't seem to materialize. But he is the prince of peace. And so there's a day coming when there will be peace. There will be peace on earth. Now, some people say, as a matter of fact, many people say, Jesus Christ is a failure because he promised, Christians say that one of his objectives was to bring peace in the world, and he's failed. We have no peace. So Jesus must have been mistaken. He could not have been the Messiah. He could not have been the Son of God. The Jews today, one of the primary reasons they reject the claim of Jesus as the Messiah is because there is no peace in the world. And if you talk to a Jewish person today, that will probably be the number one reason for a religious Jew to give to you for their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. They said the Messiah will bring peace. Jesus did not bring peace. Therefore, Jesus cannot be the Messiah. 
Well, Jesus will bring peace when the government is upon his shoulders. You see, the problem is the government isn't presently upon his shoulders. And why is that? Because men have rebelled against that. And we start rebelling on the personal level, and then it, you know, manifests itself on the larger collective level. And so man has, has rejected the rule of Christ, and in the process, we sort of doomed ourselves to a peaceless existence because he is the prince of peace. Now, when you take these things that we've just looked at and you take them from that larger realm that we're talking about and you apply them on a personal level, you see that the, the foundation has been laid for this to happen on the larger collective level. But presently, it's happening amongst individuals. You see, all of these things that we are awaiting in the return of Christ, things that will be established when he returns, all of these things that that we collectively are waiting for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, all of those kinds of things, here's the great news. These things belong to us personally today. And this is the thing that people just don't seem to be able to get through their head. God is presently establishing his kingdom, but he's doing it one soul at a time. He's doing it one soul at a time. Now, there's, there's been a mentality about us for several decades that, and it's longer than that, but it's been somewhat prevalent in the past several decades, but it's the idea of collectivism. It's, it's looking at people as just part of a larger mass and taking away the individuality and, you know, you're part of this collective group and your, your individual rights or concerns don't really matter. What you need to really be concerned about is the, you know, the, the greater group, not looking at each individual person, but let, let's look at the greater picture here and, and the bigger cause. And, you know, of course, this is what communism is. This is what socialism is. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the forfeiting or the, or the taking away of individual rights for the greater good of the, of the group, the state, uh, the, the specific nationality or whatever the particular group might be. And, and, you know, it's interesting that today, I find it quite interesting, um, many of the, the people that we sometimes will refer to as the emergent group of uh, guys within the church, they've latched on to a lot of these kind of ideas. So they talk a lot about community. And they're, they're really down on, you know, individuality. They're really down on the, the idea that you have a personal relationship with God that, that meets personal needs in your life and that you have a personal conviction that you're going to go to heaven. They don't like that stuff. For 
the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. Do you fight an internal hidden battle all alone? Or do you hear the quiet shaming of your own inner thoughts over past actions and regrets? If you answered yes to these questions, then you are not alone at all. In his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sauls shares about God's counter voice against the nagging voice of silent inner shaming. You'll also discover the secret of contentment, even in the face of guilt and regret, because God wants you to notice that He notices you. Your regrets, hurts, and fears don't have to define who you are, because in the hands of God, they are being repurposed as instruments that are shaping you into who He has destined you to become. The book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue with our special message titled, The Government Upon His Shoulders. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.